It's time for This Week in the Big East, a comprehensive look at the teams, coaches, players, and the story tradition of the Big East Conference. Here are your hosts, longtime conference play-by-play announcer John Rook and Big East author and sports writer Kevin McNamara. Welcome to This Week in the Big East. It's our weekly look at the teams, coaches, players, and stories from the schools in the Big East Conference. I'm John Rook, once again with Providence Journal beat writer, Basketball Times contributor, author Kevin McNamara. Not much change overall from last week to this week in terms of the standings, unless you count a bit more separation maybe at the top and more of a muddled mess in the middle. Seton Hall is holding on to what might be a precarious one-game lead with Creighton and Villanova within just a single game of first, each team with still three to play. Providence is another two games back, sitting right now in fourth, and then comes a grab bag of teams, Marquette in fifth. Then you've got Butler, Xavier, Georgetown, all within a couple of games of each other with three or four games left to play in the regular season. So seeding for the Big East tournament in two weeks is liable to be a last-minute crapshoot, Kevin, with the number of the possibilities that are out there. Well, John, it's amazing how the season goes in you know waves. And right now the wave that I'm looking at is at the very top, uh, certainly – the Big East Championship regular season title is up for grabs with Seton Hall, Creighton, and Villanova right there. But but then there's there's the fight to avoid that first uh, you know first night in the Big East tournament on Wednesday. Uh, I think Marquette, Xavier, and Butler are all within a game of each other uh, t- to be seventh, right. and all those teams are also NCAA tournament level teams. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. And who can avoid that? Because not that that's going to hurt anyone's NCAA case, but boy, you know, if you play that Wednesday night and you match up against a dangerous DePaul team and lose, it's going to be a long wait till Selection Sunday. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask because, I mean, that's the $64,000 question. That's the 700-pound gorilla in the room, whatever it may be. If a team, one of these teams that's NCAA worthy, slips into the seventh spot, which is likely to happen, does losing kill their chances? Well, it certainly doesn't help, you know, and if, but down the stretch with, you know, three regular season games, if you can win three of them and still end up in that seventh spot, you're probably feeling okay. I think both, I think Marquette's going to be okay. The, the schedule breaks in their, in their uh, fortune. Butler concerns me right now. And think about it, Butler. Butler's but, been a lock all year, by a, the way. A, a lock. And in the net right now, I think, well, here it is. They're 23rd. Yeah. How can How you can fall you, out of the NCAA I, That's tournament? what I'm saying. But, John, they could be 7-11. and 11. And in that seventh-place game, can they get in the tournament? I think they probably will. And it'll be howls. Because of the work they did in the non-conference portion of the schedule. From November to February 1st, they were a top-15 team. No questions asked. Uh, legitimately, they were you know a, a top-10 team several several weeks. Legitimately so. But, uh, you know, you've got to finish. What's happened to Butler in your estimation, as long as we're on the subject? Has it been the injuries, you think, mostly? I think Aaron Thompson's injury, where he was missing games, then coming back maybe not at 100% and back and forth, they can't play without him. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. The load that's been on Kamar Baldwin's shoulders has been just too much. Thompson uh, is the straw that stirs that drink. You know, he's one of the best defensive players in the league. He's smart. Uh, he sets up Baldwin. He sets yeah. up the big guys. Difficult to play without him. Well, the intensity ratcheting up a notch, not just for potential seedings, but as we've been discussing for the better part of the last few weeks here, also for the seeding and even reaching the NCAA tournament, as we just mentioned. For the Big East to have, what, 50, 60, even 70% of its teams reach the madness, winning now is still paramount. Sounds crazy, also sounds obvious, but for which teams is winning imperative 
right now? Is, is, is it Butler? Is it Xavier? Is it Providence? Who needs to win now to assure themselves of a spot in the dance? Yeah, and uh, this time of year, you know, uh, uh, our, our friend Mike DeCourcy and uh, Joe Lenardi, uh, we check the updates multiple times a day right. because things change so much. Right. But to answer your question, clearly Providence needs to keep winning. Xavier needs to keep winning. Those are the two teams that would be right now in the last four, last eight teams in at large-wise. Uh, I think both teams need to be above 500. Xavier's going to be hard-pressed to do so. Providence is, you know, they have, uh, we've talked about this, they have the most unique resume of any team in the country because I think they could finish as good as 11-7 and seven in the Big East. It's automatic, right? 11-7 in the Big East. You it's would think the so. deepest conference, blah, blah, blah. But they were so shaky uh, and have such bad losses back in, November. Uh, November, that the committee's really going to have to you know, look deep at the Friars. Yeah, and it, I think it'll probably end up being some kind of a, of a litmus test, perhaps, from here on out. The metric update at midweek in the net ranking system. All 10 Big East teams ranked in the top 74 out of the 353 Division I programs. Still half of the league, five teams in the top 26 of the net. And the Big East is the top-ranked conference in the country in the net and in RPI. Here are this week's Big East headlines. First place, Seton Hall, after beating back a Butler challenge last week, took care of business against rival St. John's last weekend before then resting up a bit this week. Pirates might walk the plank with games still at Marquette, home against Villanova, and at Creighton to wrap up their regular season. But if they survive that gauntlet, well, that championship trophy is likely to be among the Pirate booty at the end. Creighton, 9-1 and one in their last 10 games, having moved into the national top 10 in the polls this week and in the net rankings. Huge win over Butler last weekend and a finish with two of their last three at home. The only loss in the current run, a 17-point defeat at Providence back on February 5th. Villanova managed to subdue St. John's this week and win for a fifth straight time to remain tied for now with Creighton in just a game out of first. Back-to-back road wins at DePaul and Xavier, preceded the win over the Johnnies and leaves the Wildcats with a home date against Providence and two road games to finish up at Seton Hall and at Georgetown. And what about that mess in the middle? Providence, fourth place by a game, fifth, sixth, and seventh tangled up. Marquette, Butler, Xavier, even Georgetown still in the mix. From a purely competitive point of view, what's not to love about heading down the stretch with these teams neck and neck, Kevin? Well, the team that's impressing me right now is Creighton, and I know Coach McDermott is going to join us in just a little bit. But, John, what you just said, 9-1 and one in the last 10 games in the Big East, we know how tough it is to win at Villanova and Butler and Providence right. and whatnot. Right. Uh, they're not only 9-1 and one in their last 10, they'll be the favorites in their last three games. They go at St. John's which is on campus at Carnesecca, so that's a different dynamic, a difficult game there. Yep. And then two home games with Georgetown and maybe a league uh, regular season title game with Seton, with Seton Hall uh, out there in Omaha on the last day of the season. Creighton's got it rolling for sure. If you've got questions about your team or others you follow, send them to us. Hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag T-W-I-T-B-E. We call it TwitB. Thanks to our Westwood One affiliate stations for tuning in to check us out. Thanks for catching us if you are on Sirius XM. And if you're doing the podcast, we do those too. Thanks for listening and downloading on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, all our partners this season. Make sure you leave us a review. You can also listen online, BigEast.com and WestwoodOneSports.com. 
This week, we'll turn back some of the pages of time over 40 previous years of Big East history with a guy who has been here from the start and seen just about everything. Plus, we'll get the perspective of a national writer on just where these Big East teams should ultimately find themselves, how they rank right now. But leading off, the head coach of the Creighton Blue Jays. He's got a hot team on his hands, doesn't he? Where are the pitfalls he'll be hoping to avoid as the season turns toward this madness? Creighton's Greg McDermott joins us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up this week in the Big East Spotlight. At Creighton University, students have more opportunities. With nationally recognized undergraduate, graduate, and professional programs, students engage in research, internships, gain clinical experience, serve others, and much more. At Creighton, students experience a transformative education guided by Jesuit Catholic values that prepares Creighton Blue Jays for lifelong success. Become a Blue Jay today at Creighton.edu. Big East Spotlight. And the rebound comes down to the Jays. Now they got numbers. Ballock gives it to Mahoney. Layup good. Jays in transition with the running game. Nick Ballock to Denzel Mahoney. Who's got 19, his best effort as a Blue Jay. All season long, the Creighton Blue Jays have certainly been entertaining to watch, even as their offensive abilities, perhaps, well, they've been terrorizing most everybody they've faced. But the one thing that has also been noticeable from the Blue Jays this season, an improved defense is also in the playbook. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott joins us this week in the Big East. Greg, your team has been fun to watch play, although I'm sure there have been some not-so-fun moments for you guys, but what do you feel like your team has improved itself when it comes to slowing down or stopping the opponent? I think, guys, the, the fact that we were a relatively young team last year when you consider that Balak and, and Alexander were sophomores and Zigorowski was a freshman, and we were in a lot of close games. There was a stretch late in the season uh, in February where we lost four straight games and in each of the four we had the lead the last five minutes and I, I just think you learn from those experiences and you learn the importance of being able to execute a defensive game plan and then you know fundamentally we've gotten better as we've gotten older as well but uh, these guys are really connected they believe in one another and uh, our defense has allowed us uh, you know to get out and run and, and get some easy opportunities on the offensive end. We'll, we'll talk about your uh, vastly improved front court in a little bit, uh, Coach, but th- that back court, you know, Alexander Zegarowski and Ballack, d- did you see this coming last year when, like you said, that they were only, you know, freshmen and sophomores? Well, there were certainly times where it, it showed its face in terms of what their potential were, and obviously Tyson Alexander made a, a huge jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year. If you look at Mitch Ballack's shooting numbers from freshman to sophomore year, they were they were considerably better and you know Marcus worked so hard and he got healthy in the offseason so we we anticipated a nice jump from him as well the the trick is when you've got three guys that are that talented offensively to get them to play together and you know that hasn't really been a problem with those three Uh, you know they don't really care who scores the basketball Uh, they're very unselfish passers and obviously uh, you know they can all shoot it and when you can do that it's 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 difficult to guard not many teams have three elite defenders where you can put a pretty good defender on all three of them. So there's usually a weakness there that we can try to expose. And uh, I'm fortunate that I've got some guys that can do it. Let me go back to Marcus for just a second, because obviously he was the USBWA National Player of the Week. So I wonder if you might speak to that for a moment and what you saw of him when he was at the little Tilton School up in New Hampshire uh, before you brought him out west to Omaha. You know, when I watched him play in AAU and then again at Tilton, he just – 
uh, he has a, he's a winner. You know, the, he, he impacts everybody around him in a, in a positive way. Um, and, and, uh, you know, his AU team was, uh, it was good. It wasn't great, but he willed them to win a lot of games. They probably shouldn't have won. And he did it in a lot of ways. Some days he wouldn't score a lot of points, but he had his fingerprints all over the outcome of the game. Other games, obviously, to have big, big games scoring the basketball. But uh, I went, I went up to, I went to, to uh, Rhode Island to watch him play in a tournament when he was a, when he was a senior after he signed. And uh, they got beat in a close game, and he didn't play particularly well. I think he even missed a free throw uh, in the late going that that would have uh, helped his team. And he didn't even really want to talk to me after the game. <laughs> like, I flew all the way up there to see him, and he really wanted nothing to do with me. And I, when I left that gym, as much as I would have liked to visit with him a little more, I said to myself, you know, this guy's got something special. Like, he, he truly hates to lose. And uh, when you have a guy that's your leader when you're point guard and he has those kind of attributes, it's, it's going to permeate throughout the team. That's a great story. That, 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 that's, the, that's the kind of guy I want on my team. No right. question about it. Right. Uh, Greg, uh, I think what's we've already referred to it, but I think what's been maybe overlooked about your team this year is the def- just the numbers. The defensive numbers are better. Uh, you guys are definitely a better rebounding team. Uh, is it just the new bodies, you know, Mahoney and Jefferson and, and Bishop? I mean, what has been the, the change defensively for you guys? Well, Mar- Martin Crample was hard to place, or hard to replace. Not not just on the offensive end, but he he allowed us to do some things in our ball screen coverage uh, where we could be aggressive that not a lot of bigs can do. And it, and it took Christian Bishop a while to settle into that role, and he's certainly done that now. Uh, he's he's blocking more shots, but uh, you know his his defense at the point of the attack of the ball screen, whether we're having him be aggressive or a little bit soft, he, he's been very very good. And then. You know, Denzel Mahoney and, and Damian Jefferson just give us two guys that have the flexibility to, to do a lot of things. They can both drive it. Uh, they're both capable shooters. Uh, we can slide them into the post some, and then we can switch one through four with those guys, and in some ways they're every bit as good a defenders as the guy they, they switched off of. So, um, you know, we have some versatility in the lineup, uh, although we don't have great numbers right now. We're playing really seven guys. Uh, but the but the fact that uh, we have so much so many interchangeable parts within that lineup has really been a positive for us. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott joining us this week in the Big East. You guys had a, a great debut when you got to this league seven years ago. Certainly, your son Doug was a part of that. Is this a better team than that one was? Uh, you know, we've had three teams uh, since we've joined the Big East that have been ranked in the top ten at one time or another, and they're all different. Um, you know, Doug's team had a ton of experience with, with he and Giants Maniga and Ethan Rogge and Grant Gibbs all being seniors. Um, you know, that team was special in its own right. And then the, the team with Maurice Watson, Marcus Foster, uh, Kyrie Thomas, Justin Pat, you know, there's a couple pros on that team. So, and, and if Maurice Watson doesn't get hurt, that team had a lot, had an opportunity to do some special things as well. Uh, this team's just different and they're all different. They're all unique. Uh, this team is extremely connected. We don't necessarily rely on one guy. We have five guys in conference play averaging in double figures, and I think Christian Bishop is just just below that mark. So we, we can beat you in a lot of ways on the offensive end, and it's a very unselfish approach to, the, to play in the game of basketball. And then defensively, because we're a little short in stature, we have to make up for it uh, with great positioning and great effort, and uh, this team has been able to do that. Greg, I think this is always a difficult time of year for coaches like yourself who have a really good team. You know you're going to be in the tournament. You know you're going to be hopefully a good seed in the tournament. 
that, that, that's what the fans want to talk about. But I'm, you have three regular season games left. You have the Big East tournament left. I'm sure the NCAA tournament is not even on your radar, and it seems like it's a long way away. How do you deal with that with your players? Well, you know, our message has been to our guys all season long is you know, you, in this league, you've got to get over yourself quickly. Uh, you know, whether you win or lose, you, you can't uh, you can't spend much time sulking if you get beat in this league because the reality of it is you're going to. There's there's a lot of good teams, and then you can't celebrate too long when you have a great win because. Mm-hmm. Every win is a great win because the teams are so good across the board. So you have to be able to, you know, learn from what just happened, but then turn the page and, and prepare for the next one. Because if you, you know, my message all year to the guys is if, if you fail to prepare and if our, if our preparation isn't on point, uh, there's a great chance we're getting beat. So we really have to be locked in. And that's been our message to the guys. And while it's difficult being in a situation where you're potential three or four seed, it's much more difficult when you're trying to fight your way into the NCAA tournament with the last three or four games of the season. So uh, I'm proud of what we've accomplished, but as I've told the team, I, I hope the best is yet to come. We had a great visit earlier this year with Mitch Ballack, and, and, and clearly we understand why you like him, why you liked him before he ever even got to campus. But one guy we haven't even mentioned, and yet he's still your leading scorer, is Tyshawn Alexander, who I think has developed into one of the elite players in the league as well. What has Tyshawn's presence meant really from a leadership point of view for, to you guys? Well, I mean, his leadership's been great, and, and you know we asked him to take on, uh, take on the role uh, of our defensive stopper when we found out Davion Mintz wasn't going to be able to play this season. And that's not something that Tyshawn came to Creighton with a reputation of being an elite defensive player. But, you know, to his credit, he, he really embraced that role and and now is, is really run with it. And, you know, I, I said to the other something to somebody the other day, if there's a better two-way guard in the league, I'd like to know who he is. And nobody's really been able to come up with a name yet. You know, there are some great, great players in this league. But if you look at the job that Tyshawn has done on, on Marcus Howard, and, and um, you know, we've only played Miles one time, but he did a great job in that game at Seton Hall against him. But he's done that really all season long, and he still has great efficiency numbers to go with it. And uh, in conference play, he's got 42 assists, 13 turnovers, and 24 steals. Uh, those are those are incredible numbers for a guy that's really a Mark, Mark man is going to draw our best, their best defender most nights. That's Creighton head coach Greg McDermott. Next up, who's hot? Who's been hot? Who will be hot? Who might make you a little hot under the collar? That is next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's hot? This week in the Big East. Every day, the NCAA is working across campuses to keep college athletes safe by committing research and resources to their physical and mental health. Physical and mental health includes, but is not limited to, education, research initiatives and new policies on concussion, promoting best practices around cardiac health, sexual violence prevention and education, mental health resources and training, alcohol and other drug abuse prevention, guidance on nutrition, sleep and performance, creating safety guidelines for all NCAA sports, support of the American Development Model to prevent overuse injuries. And that's just what we could fit within 30 seconds. Visit NCAA.org slash well-being to learn more. Who's hot? Gillespie wants to push, finds Bay. Bay's going to attack, flies in for the two-handed jam. That'll fly the crowd just a smidge. 11 points now for Sadiq Bay. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. John Rook with Kevin McNamara. Player of the Week this week, Creighton guard Marcus Zagorowski. Not only was he the Big East Player of the Week, he was also the USBWA, the United States Basketball Writers National 
Player of the Week after leading the Blue Jays to wins over two ranked conference teams. Zegarowski, 21 points, shot almost 70% from the floor. He made seven of eight from three-point range. The Blue Jays got wins at Marquette and against Butler, two ranked teams. And, and then he tied the Big East record in three-point shooting. He hit seven of seven from beyond the arc in the Butler game. Man has got it rolling. I've just part of a really dynamic backcourt with him and Tyshawn Alexander. But w- when he's making shots, Creighton is that top ten level yeah, team. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mitch Ballack, who we've had on the show in the past, you, you put the three of those guys together. If, if even two of the three are operating at – Optimum level, it's just really tough to defend. Zagorowski right now fourth in the Big East in scoring at 16 points per game, and it looks like he's on his way up. Freshman of the week, Justin Moore, Villanova. He takes the honors for the fourth time this year after helping Nova to a perfect week. 15 points, four and a half rebounds, three assists per game. He had 17 in a win at DePaul, 13 more with six boards in a win at Xavier. He's the top freshman scorer in the Big East, just a tick under 11 points per game. I think between himself and uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, there's, what, nine Freshman of the Week awards for Villanova? What does that mean for the future of this team in this league? It's not a lot of love for all the other freshmen (laughs) in the league. Uh, Villanova's... Won it week after week after week. And uh, Moore, Moore is a really valuable guy because obviously the three-point shot is so key in Villanova's attack, and he can knock him down. Yeah, in the two games this week, he had about 50% from three-point range. On the Big East honor roll this week, Charlie Moore from DePaul, who's been a steadying force all season long with his ability to shoot and also dish because he's led the Big East in assists most of the season here. He had 20 points, seven assists uh, in a win over Georgetown. Luan Pipkins from Providence, another guy who's kind of come around late in the year. In a perfect week for the Friars, 20 points, three and a half boards, three and a half assists, 67% from the floor, almost 50 from three-point range, and he leads the Big East in free-throw shooting at 90%. I got two things there. Charlie Moore, DePaul. You want to circle a spoiler in the Big East race? DePaul is it. They're dangerous. Everyone knows that. Th- these are the last three games. They go at Butler, they host Marquette, and then they go to Providence. All three of those teams are yeah. – those teams need to win those games. Probably. Probably so. Sandro Mamukalishvili. Mamu from Seton Hall, 15.5 points, 8 rebounds, shot 57% from the field, had the game winner in that putback against Butler. Sadiq Bay, the Villanova sophomore, averaged 21 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds, shot 50% from the floor. You know, Sadiq Bay very quietly, Kevin, is becoming, I think, one of the unsung real stars in this league. I think the Big East coaches are going to have a challenge when they pick their all-league team. Do you go with Colin Gillespie or Sadiq Bay? Right. It's a tough call. I would have to agree. And then Tyreek Jones from Xavier, the senior, averaged 16 points and 14 and a half rebounds. His double-double streak and now at nine games. He had 17 and 14 in a loss to Villanova. He just continues to exercise his force in the middle for the, for the Musketeers. You know, I'm going to flash back to Luan Pipkins at Providence. You mentioned him. He was on the honor roll this week. Yep. Probably his best game yet for the Friars. Uh, the, the guy who they were looking for when he transferred in from UMass, in the uh, big win over Marquette, he was 9 for 14 from the field, John. Uh, three threes, uh, three assists, 24 points. Anything close to that, and Providence is a different team, right? It's because they're running him off the ball. He doesn't have to take care of it so much. They're actually running plays, screening him off the ball, and he's getting shots, which is where he excelled in his undergraduate years at UMass. He's a shot maker. Yep. And when he's going downhill and, and not settling for contested threes, uh, Providence is a different team. Home teams in the Big East are on a roll again of late. 
standing at 44-31 and 31 against the road teams at midweek. They've won seven of their last eight overall. Are you surprised by that at all? You know, it's been an odd year because, as you know, it, it was almost 60-40 with the home team winning. Usually in college basketball, it's 75-80%. Down the stretch here, maybe the home teams are settling in a little bit. It, it is difficult going on the road and, and grabbing these wins. Well, you probably heard some people referred to from time to time as that guy or gal has seen it all, right? Literally, we might have found someone who has, indeed, seen it all in the Big East through 40 years of history. And what does he remember most through four-plus decades of the best the sport has to offer? The longtime voice of the Georgetown Hoyas, Rich Chavotkin, tells us next. This week in the Big East. Coming up next, the Big East Focus. The Providence College experience, rooted in academic excellence, shared values, and an uncommon sense of community is both unique and exceptional. A premier Catholic liberal arts college, PC, has 3,900 undergraduate students, a dynamic, engaged community, and a great location just minutes from downtown Providence. With pride in its heritage, Providence College looks forward to a bright future. Learn more at providence.edu. Big East Focus. So here comes Butler. Jones puts it to four. Has to the rim. Puts it up. No. No basket. Hoyes win. 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 The Hoyes have beaten Butler. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. We've spent some time this season peeking back at a truly remarkable history in the Big East Conference, dating back to the earliest days of league play in 1979. So we've reminisced, recalled, regaled all sorts of tales from the Dave Gavitt, Mike Trangizi beginnings of this basketball-centric creation and realized, hey, we know a guy who's truly seen it all. Rich Chavotkin has been the radio voice of the Georgetown Hoyas since the pre-Big East days, 46 years in all. He joins us this week in the Big East. Rich, you remember what you first thought when you first heard about Dave Gavitt's idea to create this Eastern-based basketball league with television and urban arenas ready to kind of roll it out? Well, I remember where I was. I was driving around Washington Circle on my way to work on that morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, and there was a big announcement. Georgetown's going to be a member of the Big East. And then I realized the marquee schools, St. John's, Syracuse, Providence, Boston College, and I felt, wow, this is going to be something special. And believe it or not, look at what it's turned into. And in the short four or five years, there they were with three teams in the final four in the national championship. So obviously, kudos to Dave Gavitt, the seven athletic directors. And I, as you and I well know, this has been just special for the rest of the 40 years. Well, and, and Rich, think about timing. Uh, not only were you in the right place at the right time, but the, the Hoyers were ready to go right out of the chute. Uh, speak to the importance of, of Georgetown being such a dominant player, ready, ready to be a national player, right from the very first bounce of the league. Well, that's right. They won the first league championship up in your neck of the woods in Providence there at the Civic Center, beat Syracuse in the final. Remember the score, 87-81. I remember the last couple of possessions of that ball game. You know, way on top of the Providence Civic Center doing those ball games. And then in, in the 1981-82 season, Mr. Ewing came on the scene. And then they dominated that until the mid-'80s. And then again, as you well know, this has been history. Georgetown has been an integral part of, of the, the Big East for years years. And recently they struggled. 
But in the earlier years in the Big East, I, I thought Georgetown was something special. What do you think, Rich, really was important to the league gaining credibility at that time? And what's been most important in your thoughts and in your experiences of watching all these games over the past 40 years? What's been important, what's been integral, I guess I should say, in the league maintaining its uh, integrity and its importance on a national level? Well, I think the Eastern basketball was put back on the map. You know, so many people talked in the late 70s, early 80s, what's happened to Eastern basketball? You know, you had the ACC with the Dukes and the Carolinas. You had Kansas. And I think this put Eastern basketball back on the map with Syracuse, with Georgetown, with Providence, with Boston College, Villanova. You know, all those schools were marquee schools and and representative of the Northeast. And, And I think that league... When and then when it expanded to 14 teams, you know, good knows it was kind of a little bit watered down when you had that many teams. But I think it put Eastern basketball back on the map. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Rich, in the new uh, reconfigured Big East, uh, Georgetown hasn't been able to crush it like it did for so many years. Uh, are they getting closer with Patrick? Because, boy, I, 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 obviously this year the injuries have been crazy, but I've been really impressed with the job he's done. Well, I think Patrick's done a tremendous job. In fact, look, last night they got pretty much waxed by uh, Marquette. I mean, but, but when you're down, you're at seven, and you're down McClung. You're, you're talking about 15 points of all game, so you're talking 31 of the 77 points. Georgetown sat on the bench. I think Patrick's done a tremendous job just to have the kids buy into his system. I, I think they're, 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 they're really playing their hearts out. They beat Butler on the road, which is a, a, a major win. You know, and the season's not done yet, gentlemen. I, I, I hope that they can get their, you know, returning back home to take on Xavier on Sunday afternoon. They have Villanova to close it out. In between, they had a tough game on the road against Creighton. So, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to Patrick to keep these kids focused, to keep these kids buying in. And, you know, we do have Mosley, Blair, and Terrell Allen playing 40 minutes of ball game. I mean, it wears you down. But, again, I, I think he's done a tremendous job. And, and hopefully better things will happen down the road for the Hoyas. So, John, as you know, Rich has one of the uh, all-time classic walk-offs uh, <laughs> after a Hoyas victory. Rich, I'm curious, do you remember the first time you did that? And I understand there's a, there's a coach, a present coach, who's a big fan of, of, your, uh, of your trademark. Well, you know what? I really don't remember the first time. I, I think it had to be back when Georgetown, I think back in the mid-'90s when they beat Texas Tech uh, in Atlanta in, in the NCAA semifinals of the region. Of course, they eventually lost to UMass. I think that was the first time I did it. And I, I, I remember I was on press row saying, Hoyas win, Hoyas win. They said, shut that guy off. <laughs> you know, and and, and, and I, I'll tell you even better one. When I kept saying Hoyas win, Tony Kornheiser's wife said to him, is his microphone stuck? So you know, <laughs> you're figuring you know, <laughs> But I'll tell you, uh, uh, Patrick, the other night, when we were about to beat Baylor, there was like a half a minute to go. And he came over to the to the where, where I was sitting, you know, because the bench is right there. And he looked at me and he, and he said, uh, how many Hoyas wins are you going to say tonight? And believe it or not, I, I, I had 32 of them. I, 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 didn't, you know, I, 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 I didn't even realize that, you know, how many I did. So I had to call my wife and I said, how many? She said 32. So I guess, you know, it's just part of the culture. You know? is, is that your I, record? Is 32 your record? 30, 32 is the record, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. goodness gracious. Well, what, what, what we're hoping, Patrick... Uh, Hopefully we'll get his 50th victory, uh, hopefully Sunday afternoon against Xavier, so that'll count for 50 wins. Rich Chavakin, long-time, 46-year voice of the Georgetown Hoyas, joining us here this week at the Big East. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you if you have one, maybe two, overriding memories from the 40 years of this conference and where you've seen basketball grow over on this league. What stands out to you through the years? 
Well, I think the finals in the Big East over the years, I, I think that the sixth overtime game, you know, I, I think that was just special. Uh, I, I, I thought Georgetown winning a couple of those ball games at the buzzer. I think even Joe Georgetown lost on that Ray Allen shot, you know, the, Allerson, uh, the, the, the Ray Allen Iverson battles. You know, th- th- those games, you know, John and, and, and Kevin, th- those games were special. I mean, you, you look at some of the marquee players that played in some of those championship games in the Big East. That's what I remember the most. So, of course, I do remember Georgetown's championships. I remember, you know, Ewing, you know, going against uh, the, the Syracuse guys and, and, and over the course of those great games. But, you know, those Big East championship games were just something special. I got one final quick one for you here. How does this Big East compare to that Big East, and should they be compared? Well, let me tell you this. It's a different day and age. You know, in fact, Ewing even said last night, you know, it's just a new ball game. Back in those days, it was just a power game. Get the ball into the bigs, you know, power basketball. Now it's the three ball. You know, when I talked about Marcus Howard having 413 threes, he said, you know what? That's the name of the game. You know, people spread the floor. You, you don't have that inside game that they used to have, the, the dominant centers. Now it's more on the perimeter. And, and I think it's just hard to compare apples and oranges. But, you know, this is a tremendous Big East. Look at top to bottom. The, it, every game is competitive. Back then it was competitive, but you had teams that kind of separated, like St. John's, Syracuse, Georgetown, Villanova. And now with these 10 teams on any given night, anything can happen. Thanks, as always, to Georgetown's inimitable voice of the Hoyas, Rich Chavotkin. We'll turn the page more to present-day play coming up with the Athletics National College Hoop reporter Dana O'Neill joining us next, this week in the Big East. Coming up next, the National Perspective. As one of the country's leading Catholic universities, Seton Hall has been shaping students in mind, heart, and spirit since 1856. Today, the hall is home to nearly 10,000 students taught by world-class faculty. Our professors shine in the classroom, sharing their expertise with bright young minds who are hungry to learn. And as a member of the Big East, our student-athletes compete in one of the nation's top athletic conferences. Whether on the court or in the classroom, our students learn by doing. This is Seton Hall's moment. Be part of it. The National Perspective. Wildcats get it in the half-court set. Gillespie creates some space. His three is short from the right wing. Rebound brought down by Bay. Bay leaning in. Finger roll is good. Sadiq Bay now 21 points in the game. Welcome back to This Week in the Big East. How much fun do you think it would be to cover college basketball for a living? I mean, you know, watch the games, talk to the coaches, the players, offer an opinion or two, maybe even write a book about it all. Kevin, I know you've done that. Dana O'Neill has also been at this gig for more than 25 years uh, at places like ESPN and the Philadelphia Daily News. She's also the author of a book on Villanova's journey to the national title back in 2016, which was entitled Long Shots. And a little birdie tells us she's working on another while she covers college hoop for the athletic. And Dana joins us this week in the Big East. Dana, if you could describe in one word what this current season has been like, what word would you choose? I think I'd probably go with unpredictable. Um, you know, it's just been all over the map. I, I will tell you, as a, as a reporter trying to go out and do stories, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, okay, I'm going to go do a story on, you know, let's say West Virginia, which this happened, and plan the story, plan the visit, and then they lose. And that's like, well, now what am I writing? And then I did the same thing with Ohio State. And they it's just teams look good, and then they look bad, and then they look good again, and and just consistency has been impossible to find, I think, almost everywhere across the country. Not entirely everywhere, but pretty darn close. 
Jeez, John, I usually like it when Dana walks into the media room at my school, so so maybe they don't want her to show up now. <laughs> no, you don't want me. I actually told I told Mark Pugh that story. He's like, well, I hope you're not coming to Spokane anytime soon. I said, no, I'm not. He said, thank you. Yeah. Dana, I, I know, uh, you know you're based in Philly. You see Villanova frequently. Uh, we'll, we'll start. We'll, we'll hop from one team to the next, and we'll start right with the Wildcats. It, it's, it's a very different Jay Wright team. It doesn't have a lot of senior-dominated uh, leadership, but uh, they keep rolling along. Yeah, I mean, literally no seniors, right? I mean, Colin Gillespie is, is a junior, and uh, and so is Jermaine Samuel. They they have senior night coming up, and I don't think they have anybody but Wilcox to honor. So <laughs> definitely different. But, but, you know, when you look at a guy like Gillespie and Samuel, you know, they aren't seniors, but they've been playing, it feels like, for 10 years. So they still, you know, understand what it is to play for Villanova. They still understand what it is to play for Jay Wright. But that youth, I think, has been part of their inconsistency, if you will, this season. You know, sometimes they look very, very good, and sometimes they look a little confused and messy. But, um, you know, the front court's pretty tough. Sadiq Bey's a monster, um, and, and Gillespie's a winner. He just He's not going to, like, wow you or anything like that, but he's a winner. So I, I still think they're going to be a tough out um, come March because they, they just collectively understand what it is to win there. But, again, that, that inexperience just across the board with like guys who's just trying to figure out how to play together still at this late of a point, that could fight them as well. Yeah, you're talking about that inexperience, and I think that's been really one of the surprises for Villanova, and maybe uh, not so much a pleasant yeah. surprise because their program has lifted up expectations so much. Is this a byproduct of the program kind of taking over, or should we be surprised by these young guys uh, in a team in a conference like this actually playing as well as they have? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just, you know, I, people, I hate the word culture only because it's overused, but there is something to it when it actually works. And, you know, Jay's guys know what they're doing. Um, they know what's expected of them. This this team is very much the byproduct of the 2018 team of Dante DiVincenzo and Amari Spellman leaving early. That wasn't really supposed to happen. And mm-hmm. so, you know, th- this year is, they're still young because of that. Um, I think that's how this, you know, I think Jay had a construct in his head and it fell apart a little bit there. But, because, you know, it's kind of the, the next guy up. They, they understand, they, they follow, you know, Colin Gillespie was nurtured under Jalen Brunson, who was nurtured under Ryan Archidiakono and so forth and so on. There is a, just a continuity in how to do what they're supposed to do that will keep them in virtually every game. I mean, it's going to be rare that they're going to get their doors blown off. Uh, one more Big East team before we bounce a little bit, and that would be Creighton. Yeah. Creighton's the one team yeah. that that's, that's you know, did take it to Villanova, and boy, they're they're probably playing better than anyone in the league right now. Uh, as you say, these things change. It's very unpredictable. But, uh, boy, they're a really, really difficult team to defend. And uh, we just had Greg McDermott on the show, and, and their defense is now good uh, for the first time yeah. maybe in their time in the Big East. I, I think that makes them dangerous. I agree with you, and I think they're, they're flying under the radar, right? I mean, everyone talks about Villanova, and then, of course, everyone talks about Seton Hall. And Miles Powell, and deservedly, I mean, those teams deserve the attention, but Creighton's kind of floating out here like, you know what, we could actually win the league, people. And it's exactly because of what you said. I mean, their offense has for years been very, very good and fun to watch and difficult to defend, but their defense was so lacking that it, it was just almost like a wash. I mean, they, they just their defense was not good enough to actually get them deeper into to win consistently. But now the defense is, is passable. You know, it's, it's not locked down. It's not crazy, but it's good enough to keep them in games, and I think they're very dangerous simply because 
they have less pressure on them. I mean, people just aren't really talking about them. Maybe they will once they get to New York a little bit, depending on what happens there. But I feel like McDermott, he's got a team, I think, that if you get them in the NCAA tournament opposite your bracket, people are going, oh, my God, like, how do we figure this mess out Like in a couple of days? So I, I think they're very, very dangerous, maybe in some regards more dangerous than the ones that everyone's talking about in the Big East just because they're just, they're just less known. Dana O'Neill covers college basketball for the Athletics. She joined us here this week in the Big East. All right, Kevin said bounce, so let's bounce. Over to the Big 12 in particular, and, and I'm going to start with the Big 12 simply because two 10-team leagues, Big East, Big 12, very similar. Uh, not so much a small coincidence, I don't think, that both teams have been one and two in the uh, national net rankings and also the RPI and uh, for what that's worth in terms of their overall strength. How do you compare and or contrast these two leagues, and what do you think has been uh, the overall storyline for either one of these leagues so far this season? Well, I mean, the Big 12, I think, you know, if, if you watch the Kansas-Baylor game on Saturday, which I did, I think this whole season we've been talking about there's no dominant team, there's no dominant team. If you watch that game, you're like, oh, wait, yes, there are, there they are. Those, you know, Baylor and Kansas are elite teams, and, and they just happen to be in the same league. They defend like crazy. You know, I think offensively uh, Kansas is, is probably a little bit more advanced because of Azubuke and, and Dotson, but you know, Baylor's right there, kind of it's a unique Scott Drew team constructed with a lot of transfers and a Division three player, for God's sake, who's mm-hmm. one of their best players. <laughs> so I think those two teams are elite. I think what's different right now between the two, I think, you know, the Big East, it goes pretty deep. I mean, the Big 12 is, is good, but, you know, you kind of start getting down to your Iowa State and stuff, and it's pretty ugly down there. You know, the, the Big East, really, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of stuff. I was sitting in Jay Wright's office um, he was getting ready to go play DePaul, and he said, look, I know everyone thinks we're supposed to beat them, but they're really good. They're way better than they used to be, and he's right. Um, so I feel like the depth of the Big, Big East is better. I mean, sitting you know, in your backyard, Providence is a really dangerous team right now. So but I do think you're right. I think there's something to be said for smaller conferences. Everybody plays everybody, a little less complicated, a little bit, little bit more realistic and, and true, and that's why they're so good. So the, the league that is really complicated is that Big Ten. Curious on two things. Does it bother you that a 7-11 and 11 Big – I don't even know how many games the Big Ten plays these days. 7-11 and 11, uh, Big Ten team, uh, if they play 20, you know, 9 and whatever is 9-11, and 11, yeah. can, can, mm-hmm. can make the tournament because that, that's what we're going to be looking at if they're going to go as, as deep as 10 or 11 teams in the Big Ten. So I'm going to the Big Ten tournament, and I mean, I have no idea what I'm going to see other than just carnage. <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, I, it, bo- it bothers me, and it doesn't. Here, here's the here's the way. Uh, it, the thing is, like, to talk in absolutes and say no, not you know, no sub 500 team is one thing. But if you look at their non conference and they've done well right. in the non conference and they played tough teams, you can't really punish them for being in a really tough league. If, however, you're looking at a team that had every opportunity and chose not to take it in the non-conference, didn't schedule difficult teams, relied solely on their league play, and then didn't get done what needs to be done in league play, I don't think that team deserves to be awarded with an NCAA tournament bid, especially at the expense of someone else. I'll throw out you know, Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin beat Duke at Duke. If they lose a Southland Conference tournament, should they lose an, autumn, uh, an at-large bid to some team in the Big Ten that really didn't put together the proper resume? I don't think so. So it's kind of like you have to sort of piece that whole thing together, like which teams are we talking about specifically. Um, but the league is really tough, 
and it's a, it's a mess. I mean, I was just thinking, oh, here comes Maryland. Now, I know they won last night against Minnesota, but you know, I, they're liable to lose at Michigan State next week. Penn State looked really good. They tried to blow. They tried everything they could to lose last night to Rutgers, despite being up twenty-one points. I, I'm I'm not. I have no idea what to expect when I get to Indianapolis this year for that tournament. With a little perspective, that's the Athletics' Dana O'Neill. Who's got next? There are still big games on the immediate horizon and some big opportunity left for someone, somewhere. Details are next. This week in the Big East. Coming up, who's got next? This week in the Big East. Good things happen when there's a Butler Bulldog in the room. Thoughts turn into action. Ideas are elevated. And the potential of others is reached. Butler University students have an appetite for making an impact. And as a school devoted to hands-on experiential learning, you'll be making your impact sooner than you think. Because we aren't just dreamers, we're doers. And when you unleash a Butler Bulldog, good things happen. It all starts at butler.edu. Who's got next? This week in the Big East. Diallo now brings it over to the center, pushes to Reeves, wide open, yes! How's he getting that wide open? I mean, he's wide open, forget it. Got a nice rhythm right there. He was wide open on that one on the wing. He knocks down it. Four made threes for A.J. Reeves. He's hit four of five, and the Friars have tied the score at 45. John Rook, Kevin McNamara, this week in the Big East. And this weekend, the major story might find itself in the city of brotherly love. Providence goes after what would be a fifth straight win over a top 25 team by playing at Villanova. While Seton Hall's senior day for Miles Powell, Quincy McKnight, and company uh, gets a test from Marquette. Butler also tries to bounce back at Hinkle with a DePaul date. Two things there. Providence is uh, an interesting team. We, we've talked about them uh, early in the show with their uh, resume, and needless to say, a win at Villanova would might put the Friars in the tournament. It, it, it's that big. You know, they end the season with two home games, Xavier and DePaul. So this is the last quad one big time victory opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. And uh, it could be a big one for the Friars. The other thing is is Seton Hall. You know, Seton Hall has been probably the best team from, you know, the start of the year to now. But, uh, John, how about this ending? At Marquette, as you uh, said, then they host Villanova and then go to Creighton. I mean, there's three great opportunities there. There's three potential losses there for, mm-hmm. for the Pirates. So mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see how Kevin Willard's team can wrap it up. There's a Sunday doubleheader leading off with Creighton at St. John's uh, at Carnesecca Arena. Xavier takes its act on the road to Georgetown. But next Wednesday, Kev, four. Count them. Four games, every one of them with some kind of implication, something hanging in the balance. Xavier at Providence, Georgetown at Creighton, St. John's at Butler, and Villanova at Seton Hall to top it off. I don't know which one to pick. Uh, you know, uh, Xavier at Providence, those are two bubble teams. Uh, everyone in the country will be watching that game. Uh, Villanova at Seton Hall could be a regular season championship game, big-time games. I think it very much could be a regular season championship game. Right there, but don't count out those Creighton Blue Jays. Oh, no. They're, oh, no. We don't want to do that either. No, they're where they need to be. That's exactly right. Hey, our thanks this week to Creighton head coach Greg McDermott, Georgetown's voice of the Hoyas, Rich Chavotkin, and the Athletics' Dana O'Neill for joining us. Thanks go out to our flagship radio stations from Villanova, Creighton, Georgetown, and Seton Hall for their assistance. Thanks to producer Kevin Collins, associate producer Matt Morrell, to WGAO in Franklin, Massachusetts for facilities assistance. Thanks to the coaches and administrators at all 10 Big East member institutions. For Kevin McNamara, I'm John Rook. Find us on Twitter. I'm at JR Broadcaster. He's at Kevin McNamara33. Don't forget to use that hashtag TwitBe, T-W-I-T-B-E. We'll be here again for you same time next week. For this week, 
in the Big East. Thanks for listening to This Week in the Big East. Special thanks to our member schools, Butler, Creighton, DePaul, Georgetown, Marquette, Providence, St. John's, Seton Hall, Villanova, and Xavier, as well as their athletic departments. This Week in the Big East is produced by Kevin Collins. The executive producers are John Paquette and Rick Gentile. Be sure to join us next week for the latest edition of This Week in the Big East.